The Spin-Off Podcast Network. Are you making the most of your KiwiSaver investment? Generate is an award-winning KiwiSaver provider with a track record of strong long-term performance. Making a smart decision now could add tens of thousands of dollars by the time you reach retirement. Book a no-obligation chat with a Generate KiwiSaver advisor today at generatekiwisaver.co.nz slash advice. A copy of the product disclosure statement is available at generatekiwisaver.co.nz. The issuer of the scheme is Generate Investment Management Limited and of course past performance does not guarantee future returns. The Fold is brought to you by O Media, making brands unmissable and public spaces better across Aotearoa. No mai hoki mai ki the Fold, e mihi nei ko Duncan Grieve toku ngoa. My guest today are the general manager and the the founder of Big Fan. Uh, that's Savina Fountain and Joel Little, uh, who have created this new. It's it's sort of hard to to you know succinctly describe. It is is both a venue and a set of studios and a writing room, and the word that Savina used frequently while talking about it is is a as a community, and. It's a, it's a, it's the the sort of physical place of it is just around the corner from us in Morningside, you know, even closer to our to our former office at the Spinner. So we watched this thing go from a construction site to to the finished product. It's now been been open six months, and it's really, I don't know. When I think about it, I get almost like misty eyed. Like it's just such a, a beautiful thing to exist in the world and such a beautiful example of of someone giving back. I mean, so the whole thing happened because Joel Little, uh, he, you know, one-time singer of Goodnight Nurse and, and writer for Kids of 88 and and then some commercial music, uh, set up a, a studio called Golden Age. And in that studio, one of the first non-commercial projects they recorded was Pure Heroin. And, you know, so... Yeah, between he and uh, and Ella, they 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 made the first Lord record. It became a global hit and and changed Joel's life. And while you know the the success of Lord is kind of pretty well understood here, I feel like some people aren't aware of just how extraordinary Joel Little's parallel career has been. You know, in terms of you know he's he's written with. Uh, with Taylor Swift, with uh, you know Imagine Dragons, with with just some of the biggest artists in the world, and if you you know just check his discography, and there are just so many smash smash singles uh, which which he's worked on, and you know as a result he's he's done quite well for himself, and for most people that would be enough, and you know just the 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 act of continuing to create music is is a beautiful thing. But what he and his wife Gemma did was when they returned to New Zealand, they found this this venue that um, or, you know, was a couple of apartments and almost like a, a loading dock and have spent, I would honestly be scared to know how much to turn it into big fan. And they've hired uh, Savina Fountain, who is, a, you know, as, as we discussed on the podcast, someone who's worked in live music uh, and in really all aspects of the industry um, since since her teenage years. And so I, I wanted to get the pair of them together because they're both very smart, very driven, um, very generous people to to talk about their careers in music, to talk about their the sort of 
2000, which is when they both came up, um, and and also to talk about the kind of changes the changes that have happened to the music industry over the last 10 years and how both their backgrounds and the kind of evolution of the industry helped birth and and kind of underpin the philosophy that drives Big Fan. Um, so. Yeah, it's a, it's it's about music, but it's also about kind of culture and technology and the sort of the live experience, both in terms of uh, performance and and of writing and recording. Uh, it's I'm I'm really stoked. I've been wanting to do this for for some time. Really admire the heck out of the pair of them, and and think Big Fan is one of the most exciting and impressively conceived institutions to arrive in our culture in some time. So this is Savina Fountain and Joel Little on the fold. Dena Korua and welcome to the fold, Savina and Joel. Kia ora, thank you for having us. Kia ora. Thank you so much to, for you. You know, you've journeyed all the way up the hill from <laughs> uh, from from Big Fan, all of 200 metres from our doors. But I, I do appreciate it and I've been looking forward to this for some time. Um, I just want to dive into it, and and one of the things that sort of struck me when I was kind of researching ahead of time was that, you know, the, one of the things that we'll explore in this podcast is is the the sort of rate and pace of change that that's occurred in the music industry throughout the course of your careers, and to the extent to which that's fed into the thinking behind Big Fan, um, and one institution which uh, just announced its closure recently that you're both graduates of is Mainz. I wonder if we could start by you just talking a, a bit, um, each of you, about your time there and what that provided you. Sure. Do you want to go first, Savina? Oh, right. Okay. I'll, I'll go first. Um, so I went to Mainz. I just realized um, it's been 20 years um, since I first attended. So if I can do my maths, 2003, I did the it was the live sound and event production. I think it would change its course name um, over time. But um, so I studied there and it was uh, like a real freaky year for some reason. That year we had like eight um, non-male people in the course, which apparently they've, you know, never had that many. And then I've just made literally like lifelong friends from that year. And I just really wanted to get into the music industry and... I found this course and I thought, that sounds great. I don't know if I wanted to be a live sound en engineer, but I thought it was interesting enough and, yeah, learned a lot. Met this guy because he was uh, studying across the hallway, um, doing a different course, and, yeah. And then I actually worked as a live sound engineer in an um, AV tech, and then I returned back to Mainz to study uh, Diploma in Music Event Management, which also finished, like, a few years later and then, no, obviously doesn't exist anymore but um yeah and then just been involved with mains as the um, program advisory um chair for a number of years i've done guest lecturing there so had a lot of time and love for mains you know it's it's so it's really upsetting that it's closed because it's had a huge impact on my life yeah it seems one of those rare sort of kind of creative vocational schools that really does if you just look at the list of its graduates it's yeah you know, there's a lot of people who who roll roll back to there what what do you think we lose with its closing Joel oh man um I don't know I just feel like New Zealand needs more of that and not less of that so just in like as as, as simple as that is that's the the saddest part about it I had a great time there. I went. I studied the contemporary music performance course, and um, 
at the time, I just thought it was just an excuse for me to kind of be like, hey, mum and dad, I'm like going to do something, you know, educational. But for me, I was just, it just was an excuse to do music every day, learn about music. Um, the course had like a full scope of industry studies and theory studies and then the whole performance side of it and songwriting and that kind of thing. So it gave me a great um, kind of scope of all different aspects of the industry. I was managing my band, Goodnight Nurse, myself. So I was you know, wanting to learn more about how to do all of that side of things properly. It just um, it provided a lot of opportunity for me to to grow as a as a musician and as someone who wanted to be in the music industry. So yeah, it's sad, man. It's really sad. We recently published an an oral history of De Hamo's We Go and Ride on on Friday, which became I think Alex when she started researching it thought it'd be this this cute little piece and it, piece and it became this enormous kind of sprawling thing. I think it topped out at 23,000 words before she started <laughs> whittling it down. Well. And it's because, you know, you know, a particular song can actually contain so much more than that in terms of the participants involved and what it meant to them. It also was just a sort of a moment in, in kind of New Zealand music history where you had New Zealand hip hop on this this crazy high, but there was also like it was integrated into this New Zealand pop scene of which Goodnight Nurse was very much a part, you know. And and there there was something about that the the sort of spectre of that in the national consciousness that that felt pretty enormous at the time. And I don't know if we've necessarily recaptured since. Joel, do you want to just talk about you know it both being a sort of a witness to that moment and how. It and you know institutions like Edgefest and so on, which you played multiple times, I think, sort of contributed to to your career and the the, the sort of growth of Goodnight Nurse. Yeah, I mean, man, I remember that video coming out and just being absolutely blown away. Like there was there was a long period where I just always thought that every New Zealand music video was shit, and like was <laughs> as, as soon as it was almost like oh no, this is terrible, but. I feel like when I saw that logo come up in the corner, I was always like, "Oh no, what are we gonna, <laughs> what are we gonna witness here?" Um, that like around that time was when I feel like the production values and all of that just really kind of kicked it up a notch. That video just to me seemed like an international artist had come out. It kind of came out of nowhere in, in my eyes, anyway. That um, that song. Um, so I was just blown away by that. I feel like that it was. I mean, that was encouraging and, and motivating um, in terms of wanting to push yourself to be better and to be to do things at a more international standard. I feel like Edgefest and stuff was it was just fun. It was just like a, a, an opportunity to play in front of a, um, a massive crowd of super hyped people. Um, we were always like the the opening. Oh no, there was usually a competition winner, and then it would be good night and us would play after them. So we were like way down the ladder, but um, but super fun. I remember, like, and we get, get, you know, there was like one, I don't know if it was the same one, and maybe it was Chingy and Presidents of the USA. Like, like the weirdest kind of like weirdest lineups, but like kind of super awesome at the same time. And I remember Jaden, our drummer, going back after Presidents of the USA had played to try and get an autograph. And they were like, can you just give us a minute, man? <laughs> <laughs> he was like, um, yeah, that, this was like definitely when they were not in their prime either. It was like a, it was pretty funny. We had some great adventures on that, on those, on those tours for sure. Because it, it did feel like that. You know, it, it's interesting what you say about it feeling like an international quality song. Because I think while New Zealand had had artists 
travel before then multiple times, there was something about that moment which sort of felt like it gave breathed life into a broader group of people, gave them permission to start thinking about, you know, you can, New Zealand music isn't just a genre that could plausibly only be of interest to New Zealanders within New Zealand, but it mm. could it could travel somehow. Yeah. And that, and as far as I know, that that music video was made in New Zealand, right? They didn't it was go made in Britomart just when yeah. Britomart had. I don't know. Born. I was like, look, that's New Zealand, and it looks like, um, yeah, I feel like the quality of this stands up with everything else that I'm seeing, and I think, yeah, that was that was a huge achievement for the time. Sabina, you were working in a, a sort of another end of of the industry in that kind of all ages space at the time. I, I think. I mean, what what do you what sort of drew you into that space and what was it that was that that made you sort of feel like this was a place that was that it was important to put energy into? Oh, to be honest, I think it actually came from a really like selfish thing, as you probably maybe like all teenagers are. Um, it was just my band. We were in the Rock Quest, and we thought after the Rock Quest, oh, what do we do now? Got nowhere to play. I'll organise a show. I met some other um, bands um, at neighbouring schools, so hired out the community hall and started organising shows. And then as we started doing them, um, I'd get approached by other like touring New Zealand bands saying, oh, we want to come and play an all edges show. Could you organise it for us? And I like kind of pretended that I wasn't like some school kid, you know, trying to <laughs> organise these shows. And that's kind of how it grew. And then kind of met a group of people that were doing similar things over on the North Shore. And then we sort of formed this um, collective called um, Local Output. And then we just started organising different shows around um, North Shore. We did some band competitions and things like that. And then we caught the eyes of the North Shore. I think it was like called the Youth Council or something like that. And then they started giving us some funding and then just sort of grew quite organically from there. And um, I just really like realised that that sort of like gave me this sense of belonging, like part of being in a community and you just literally just made friends um, because, you know, like growing up in high school, not everyone that you grow up with, like you've got the same taste in music or anything like that, um, same interests. And then something through music, I think you can kind of connect with people and then you sort of feel like these are my people and some of those people I obviously still hang out with today. Um, some of them are actually still running venues and um, putting on events and things like that. So it's made a really lasting impact. And I think it's really important to have that place where teenagers could go and form that, form their community. Do you feel like it's because that's such a crucial part, right, of, of the of the sort of pipe into the industry is having a sort of a a, a place where that, that kind of experimentation and those early experiences can happen that's and there's always been that kind of perennial, like the the sort of once you graduate into eighteen, those venues are quite a different and and kind of potentially quite a scary place place for a teenager. What is your sense of what the environment is like for that group for the all ages scene uh, at the moment? Uh, well, I guess the feedback that we're getting is that there's definitely less and less all ages, you know, shows and venues. Um, these days, I think it feel like that scene, you know, we used to call it the all ages music scene. I don't know if there is one. Like, I feel like when I was growing up and even when I was past 18, I was still going to all ages shows where there was no bar or alcohol. Um, but we just like going to shows and then the same people turn up, 
and there was just like where everyone just went all the time. I don't know if that much of that sort of exists much these days. Um, and hopefully we're changing things with um, what we're doing here at Big Fan. Yeah, it's. Um, I feel like COVID had a huge part to play in that as well because I mean even me with my work as a as a music producer, I'm meeting young artists who have started writing songs, got popular online, and been signed all within COVID times, and wow. uh, and have never played a show, and so they'll get to a point where they're they could fill an arena and they've never played a show in their life and they haven't they don't really care about it they don't really know about that side of it and that the experience of playing live and how important it is and um yeah it's it's super interesting and i think that life is so online now for for everyone um especially teenagers and so the fact that they haven't had the opportunity to get out there and experience a live show until covid's kind of um what's the word i guess now that now that they can get out a bit more um, there's the opportunity for them to discover that, but it's not something that's even occurring to them because it wasn't a thing at the age that you would normally get interested in something like that. So, yeah, hopefully we can kind of instill a bit more of that in excitement in people to get out and experience a show because there's nothing like a live gig and being a part of a scene and seeing the same bands and seeing them grow and, and being a part of that is such an important thing. I want to sort of tease tease out some of that because I'm also thinking about the the sort of feedback mechanism that a live show represents and how different that is to, you know, like the, there's a, a heard and read artist kind of being quite angst-ridden, quite understandably, about the impact that TikTok has had in terms of the actual the feedback loop that comes out of that for, for songwriting and the incentives around, you know, how you even structure music to, and like maybe it's 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 sort of a good time to kind of dive into that as as a producer and a songwriter over these past few years and you know in lockdown where you were you know live was gone but but streaming was very much still there social was still very much there and tiktok rose during that time pretty extraordinarily how are you start you know is, are you feeling that in terms of the the sessions you're writing or is there still a bit of a firewall around the the creation of the song Feeling what part of it? Sorry, the the, the, the impact, impact of, of TikTok and people yes. trying to write for TikTok purposes. Precisely. There's definitely there's definitely a world of artists that are doing that, and a, a huge number of artists are getting signed because they have a song that goes viral on TikTok. Um, it's a really interesting new kind of new world that one. I mean, they there are a lot of artists who have a big song that goes viral on TikTok. They don't really have anything. To follow it up with, and it's and it's a, it's not really building. Well, for a lot of them, it's not really building a loyal fan base because people are just into not just the song, but like that specific section of the song, and so they're coming to shows just to hear that little fifteen-second snippet of a song. They don't really, they're not really worried about the rest of it, um, and so I don't know. It's a weird, it's a weird world, and there are there are artists who um, are having great careers based off of TikTok, but they're also, they'll only write a 15 second snippet. And then if that starts to get a bit of traction, it's like, okay, maybe we'll finish this one up. <laughs> so it's not, you know, maybe we'll finish writing the rest of the song. So it's, um, it's an, I don't know, it's not something that I um, particularly enjoy or have been involved in or really like, want to be involved in that side of things. Like I still just like trying to write a full song or a full album even. Um, 
but it's a it's definitely a, a new world especially for younger artists because they just like why would i do that when everyone's attention spans are so short and i can just do it this other way yeah i i, I wanted to go um into that a bit more later on but for now just just again thinking about this kind of the prehistory of big fan and also institutions that came up before that the sort of impact of, of uh, streaming and social uh, one that sticks out is is golden age the the studio that's you know also a few hundred meters from from here uh -huh. um do you know i just wondered if you could talk about what motivated you to start that because it does feel of a piece with the if the thing that you need doesn't exist you have to build it uh, yeah i mean golden age for me was like at the time was i had um, like the, the good night nurse thing was kind of running its course. I was tr I'd had a, um, a kid and was trying to figure out how to actually still make money off of being in the music industry. Um, and I'd started doing some music for TV commercials. And so golden age, the opportunity to start golden age was kind of came from that. So I had kind of had quick success with writing music for TV commercials for whatever reason, had a bit of a bit of a knack for it. And so, um, when the opportunity came up to set up a space, I was like, well, well cool, I want to do that to, to pay the rent. But obviously my main love is trying to work with artists and, and write um, original songs. Um, and so the deal was that we'd do, try and do like an ad or two a month and then we'd get new artists in to work with. And then it just happened that Ella was one of the first people <laughs> that I actually worked with in there. And then that kind of changed everything. So, um, and then, jo and then Josh, uh, Savina's uh, husband, actually, he was the one that when I when all of the Lord stuff happened, and I was like, man, I think I'm gonna have to move to LA and give it a crack over there. Um, he was kind of my first and only choice for someone to to take over because he'd been doing a similar thing elsewhere. Super talented guy, kind of fit the fit the um, the vibe of what we're trying to do at Golden Age and. Yeah, I mean, he's been there way, way longer than than I have, and he's had huge success there as well. So, it's um, it's interesting, right? This this idea, and again, kind of heading towards big fan of, you know, New Zealand has, it's not vast sums of money, but there are these kind of ongoing institutional supports for for music and and other cultural forms through through things like Creative New Zealand or New Zealand on Air. Yet the studio piece, which often, you know, at least to me as you know, a, a past life, I was a music journalist, know some musicians, always felt like a, a place where you could really, uh, you know, if you were to have that infrastructure, you uh, created space for projects like, you know, I mean, they're, they're not all going to be the love club, but but to allow them to form in a kind of a, a less pressured environment. Yeah, you know, I noticed that that with Big Van, you've you've uh, had some work with um, the Ministry of Culture and Heritage. You know, so Savina, thinking about you know, you you talked about the 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 North Shore Council, I think it was. So it must be even pre Super City. Yeah, definitely was showing my age. <laughs> so you know, how how do you sort of rate the that that sort of cultural infrastructure in New Zealand, where it's directed? You know, the 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 music video thing is kind of notorious as a thing that you get to do whether it's whether you like it or not in a way what what's your sort of general sense of, of how we do that in this country oh i feel like i think i was just speaking to someone about this on the weekend is people really surprised from overseas at how much support and funding there is in new zealand and i think that we 
sort of take it for granted because we've had it for a while and funding has been increased in the last, you know, sort of four, four years. Um, so I feel like there's a lot of opportunity. Um, but I guess maybe... I think that's sort of like maybe if I'm sort of looking at it, I feel like there's a lot of support out there, but I think maybe for a lot of younger um, emerging um, people coming up, they probably will say the opposite and they'll say that there's like this gatekeeping community that the funding's only available to selected number of people and they reckon there isn't enough or there isn't enough for this type of thing, that there's nowhere for them to go. So I think there's definitely still gaps out there, but I think that we're really fortunate here in Aotearoa. The Fold is brought to you by O Media, making brands unmissable and public spaces better across Aotearoa, with over 4,000 out-of-home advertising sites nationwide across both street furniture and retail centres. I'm super grateful to O Media for enabling us to make unmissable connections with Kiwis. Ready to rediscover the joys of cycling? With over 300 kilometres of cycle paths across Tamaki Makoto, jumping on your bike and going for a ride is such a fun way to discover the city from a different perspective. Cycling is getting more and more popular across Auckland, so now's a great time to join the hype and give cycling a go. Head to at.govt forward slash cycling to find your nearest cycleway today. So let's let's talk about Big Fan now. Um, maybe Savinika, you could explain what it is, and then Joel, you could talk about your your motives for for sort of uh, for you know, willing it into being, I guess. So Big Fan is a, um, where it runs um, as a charitable trust, um, and we have a live music, all ages, and licensed music venue um, downstairs. And we have three recording studios upstairs, so all under one roof um, in Morningside. And um, we've been in operation for, I think we just opened our doors, so about six months ago, probably around this week, I think. So still pretty baby new um, space. Um, we um, want to create this community where people um, can come together, enjoy music, create music, write music um, and yeah for a space to be enjoyed by as many people as possible and uh, I mean it's it's a it's a beautiful idea and I've been through it it's, it's quite an extraordinary space it's kind of feels like something you'd imagine in a dream but never c- could conceive of actually being around especially for for musicians what what was it that that um, pushed you to kind of breathe it to, into life um, well, first of all, thank you. That's a nice thing to say. Um, I don't know. I mean, you mentioned Golden Age before, and I feel like when I when I set up Golden Age, that was f- for my own survival. <laughs> you know, like that was at the time I was trying to figure out how to make a living off of music and, and kind of fall into the music production thing in a way. Um, I never set out to be a producer or even thought of it as a viable career at the time necessarily. Um, and then obviously... I was through my career. I've always just kind of you know, followed my nose and done what I was excited to do at the time and what I thought was the smart thing to do at the time. And one thing led to another, and it's ended up going really well for me. Um, and uh, and then the after a while, the thought starts to creep into your head. Well, what could I do to to give back to people who don't have what I have? Um, and um, 
it was always just a logical choice um, to do something within music. Uh, and so my wife and I were just chatting with people and talking about what the, what was needed in New Zealand. We'd moved back from LA after four years and I was trying to find something that would kind of connect me a little bit more with the New Zealand music industry because I definitely feel like I was just kind of doing my own thing with artists from the States pretty much exclusively or from you know, international artists and had kind of lost touch a little bit with what was going on here. Um, and just one of the main things that kept coming up was that was the lack of space, accessible space for people to be able to go and explore the idea of of um, having a career in music uh, in whatever way that might be. Um, so initially big fan, um, we found the, the building in Morningside and it was two apartments upstairs and the old Crave Cafe downstairs. And so our initial uh, idea was just to do the studios upstairs and just leave downstairs and maybe uh, make that a um, just a community space for, I don't know, for whatever people wanted to do in their market days or whatever. Um, but then I, don't know, I feel like it was kind of like maybe like six months in where I was like, I think it should just, like, it seems like it would be a shame if we didn't turn this, like soundproof this space and like actually make it a venue. Like it's kind of the perfect size for, uh, for newer artists to put on a show um, and not feel like if say 30, 40 people show up, it's still going to feel like a welcoming space. They're not going to feel like, um, you know, feel silly for putting on a show. Um, but you can also fit kind of up to, technically up to 200 people in there, um, which turns it into like a massive heaving freaking sweat box, which is also awesome. Um, so that was just something that kind of, uh, yeah, the whole thing with Big Fan is the idea got bigger as we as we kind of went on. We, Jim and my wife and I would get more and more excited about doing certain things and then wanting the place to just be as multifunctional as possible. Um, so we ended up, yeah, just, I don't know, just installing all these different cables for different things and trying to future-proof and be like, oh, what if somebody wanted to record from the venue up to like one of the studios? And then it was like, oh, that'd be cool. And then it's like, what if they wanted to, what if we wanted to record all the rooms at the same time? Like, how can we do that? And so it just kind of snowballed and turned into this uh, much bigger thing than we had initially kind of thought. But um I'm glad it did, and I'm glad that we've gone down this road. It's a yeah, it's a special place, and we're super excited to um, to be up and running. Yeah, six months has gone really fast. How have people responded to it, Serena? Like now that it's because there's always the, the a gap between when you make something and how you sort of imagine it being used versus what actually happens. Have, has it has it been full from the jump? Have 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 yeah? What what's the community's um, response to its arrival been? It's kind of crazy, really, um, but I think that really speaks to Joel and Gemma's. Like, they're really visionaries because, you, yeah, anyone can have an idea and you think this is what people want, this is what people need, this is sort of the feedback. But literally every single thing that they envisioned this place to be has all come to fruition. It's, like, insane. Like, even when I started working on the project, it was, you know, we'd had all these, like, crazy ideas, like, oh, it'd be cool, you know, like, one day it'll be used for, like, a big, like, part of a big, like, festival. Like, there'll be, like, writing camps all week. Um, all the studios will be in use. There'll be, like, people doing um, this, you know, like, filming in there. People be doing, like, music video release parties and there'll be, like, all sorts of different things. And I think all of those things happened in, like, three months. And it was just like, what? But 
I think to probably anyone else would be like, oh, what? But I think that's really what Joel and Gemma set out to create and there is definitely a demand for it. So it's been sort of like, it's been crazy because I think also we've been, we were quite delayed in our opening. Um, so there was always like this anticipation or people wanting to get into the space, but we just had no timeline that was sort of given to us about when we were actually going to be open. So we sort of had to, we weren't able to take any solid booking. So we sort of felt like we were sort of always pencil booking people and removing, removing and removing. And we eventually gave up in the end. And then suddenly we got um, council inspection and then all passed. And then it was like, right, we go like booking all these things. And it just all happened. And it just, even now, like the demand for a space like this has just been, yeah, it's it's crazy. And, and most, you know, Friday, Saturday nights are sort of gone for the next couple of months. So it's um, really good to see that. And like artists from sort of all levels, which is the whole um, vision behind Big Fan. It's um, not just for established artists or international artists. It's for literally every single level, whatever stage you're at. So we've had people play their first shows and there's a first-time artist and we've had international bands playing there and established bands. So um, it's really cool. It, it's interesting, right, because you were building it through the sort of COVID lockdowns, with, you know, closed borders, live venues really, really struggling, the whole industry kind of st trying to figure out how to respond to that. And yet what it was was very much a, built to, to kind of based on what, what, uh, what had gone before, and even if you think about the you know the kinds of artists you were describing earlier, the you know who who might have recorded in their bedrooms hits that had been heard by millions of people without ever playing a show. In some ways, it's a bit of a throwback to an imagined, more kind of uh, community focused or more in person, uh, more more live type music industry. You know, do you feel like it's, you know, is it sort of satisfying for, given that that's very much what, what birthed both of you really, that it is still fulfilling that role and, and feels like it can act as a bit of a resistance to that sort of push towards the more kind of um, individualised, digitised industry that, that is very much, right? And not, and not that that's invalid, but, no. but there's a different road still. Yeah, I mean... And the thing with the music industry is it's constantly evolving and changing and things that weren't popular come back into popularity. Like there's always there's always swings and roundabouts. And so I feel like the live thing, there, there's probably going to be a group of people who are just super hungry for that because they never got to experience that. And so being able to provide that, I mean, we wanted it to be, like I said before, kind of like multifunctional and, and also like not um, not redundant. And so... We, like our whole thing with Big Fan has also been we want to try out all these things, do all these different, you know, do the camps and the and the the shows and all the stuff. But if if we're doing things that people aren't interested in and that aren't helpful to people, then we just, you know, we don't want to keep, we're not going to force people to do things that aren't useful for them. And so the whole, our whole thing is, and we're lucky as well because it's not for profit and because for us, like even through COVID, because our whole intention has been, you know, we never, we're not looking to make money off of it. We're never taking a cent from it. Um, 
So we weren't stressed about that. We weren't like, oh, what's this? What's the bottom line here? Like, how, how are we going to get back in the black? You know, but it's never been about that. We always knew we were going to lose a bunch of money on it. <laughs> well done. Um, yeah, yeah, thank you. Good at that. It's a pretty fun way to lose money. <laughs> so, yeah. yeah, but that's fine because it means we can just try things. And if they don't work, then we'll be like, it's not like this is our business model and we have to stick to this thing. It's like, we'll try that. And if it doesn't work, then we'll tr- see, you know, we, we'll see, we'll see what it becomes over the next couple of years and see what people want to use it for. And 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 if that's to create for you know for a live scene to to come up out of it, then that's amazing. Um, but then also we have the studios upstairs. So even for those bedroom producers who might have only made music at, at home, being able to come in and realize that there are other people that think the same way that they do is really cool. Like you see some of the we've done a couple of um, we have these residencies. So we give uh, people send in their demo and they can all come and we give three of our studios away for free for the week. And so people that are making different types of music or just come in, they get a free week in the studio and just seeing their faces and them being able to chat to me and whoever else and ask for advice and, and them to be able to chat to each other and talk about the way that they're approaching things in their bedroom studio. It just, um, it's just healthy. It's just a healthy thing for people to do, to be able to talk and kind of see that they're not the only ones that are thinking the way that they think, because um, otherwise it can get a little bit lonely if you're just you know locked away in your own little studio and never really kind of having that sense of community and sense of um, of the bigger picture. So you know, in terms of the that old becoming new again thing, uh, we were just talking before uh, we start hit record about your show, uh, the reunited good night nurse supporting um, My Chemical Romance at yeah. Western Springs recently. Um, which wasn't just a reunion. There were there were new songs released, and and the whole thing felt quite like. I mean, watching it, it felt like kind of cathartic and transportative. It was a it was a pretty amazing situation. Yeah, you know, what what motivated that, and and you know, did you did you sort of learn kind of new things about about yourself, about about your relationship with those songs, in the process of rediscovering them? Um, yeah, I definitely did. I mean, it honestly all just started as a bit of a joke um, because I um, recently turned 40 and so it was, I was wanting to like get the band back together for the 40th kind of thing, just to play some shows literally at the 40th for a laugh. Um, and then, I know, it always seems to be the way, like things just end up getting bigger than they're initially intended to get. But um, but I guess something like someone must have mentioned it to somebody and then you know we had a text saying if we put an offer in for the for the my chemical romance show would you guys consider it and then we're like oh i guess um yeah it was just i mean i love a challenge it was like i literally hadn't played live in 13 years um and it just seemed like the most ridiculous way of (laughs) <laughs> of like getting back on the horse was to just put myself in front of 17,000 people. Um, I don't know. It, it just, it, I feel like the, all these things, like there's, there's never like anything super deep or complicated about it. It's just like a, a gut feeling at the time. And I think it was a great way to reconnect with the other guys in the band who were all still friends, but had never really, um, hadn't, we just hadn't been in a room playing instruments together. And so when we first had a bit of a jam to see if we still were still physically capable of doing it, um, <laughs> it like uh, it kind of j- just came back. It was like, like you know, like riding a bike almost. It was, it was weird. I felt like music's so weird, like, like the muscle memory. Um, 
And yeah, and then we would just say, well, if we're going to do it, we've got to do it right. And, you know, I've, especially me, who now has a bit of a reputation as being good at music, I have to, like, <laughs> I can't, like, make, I can't look like an idiot. Um, yeah, so we just embraced it. And yeah, it was fun, man. It was so much fun. Um, and then the people that started coming out of the woodwork when we announced it um, and just the stories that they were telling about, the, you know, how, how when they were 15 or 14 and first coming to our shows and the friends that they made at the shows and what the songs meant to them at the time, like, it, yeah, like all of that stuff that you just, you just kind of, when you're not, when you're not in it, you're just, you know, getting on with your life. You, you know, it's not things that you really think about. And so those reminders were uh, were super special. And um, yeah, I feel like it was cathartic in that way because I definitely felt when we were in Good Night Nurse at the time and taking it really seriously, we weren't necessarily like the industry darlings. Nobody really cared about us or thought that our music was good or anything. Well, then the music industry and um, the, the hierarchy of the New Zealand music industry. Um, but the reminder that the, the fans were like, they actually cared about it all. So yeah, it was really cool. So lastly, I mean, again, because it kind of speaks to, you know, we're all sort of, I mean, I'm definitely the eldest, but but we're sort of vague, vaguely uh, similar ages, certainly came up in that 2000s era music industry. And it's always hard to disentangle your own fondness for your, for your, you know, times which were particularly kind of electric in your kind of upbringing versus the, you know, what is a, what is a true and profound change. But there, there, you know, like thinking about that that sort of two thousands era and the the sort of institutions that made it happen, and how those have been kind of frayed and dissolved by the rise of sort of social for discovery and streaming for for consumption. I don't really know what <laughs> where I'm going with this, but but do you sort of you know as participants in the industry today, do you feel like the sort of that change from you know, a kind of retail and live as the center of of the industry to to this kind of more more digitized technology driven or dictated version has had has has impacted music in terms of how it's made in, in a in a positive or negative way, or are you kind of just generally at peace with that's just the motion and you have to to evolve with it? Well, I can't speak to the music creation part of that because I was not very good at that at all. But as a, I guess sort of like a participant of it, um, I just feel like it's really interesting because you even look at some um, artists now, um, you know, domestically or um, internationally, that they can have a lot of followers, they can have this big presence, have the numbers, but they can't get people to buy tickets. And you, you see that um, um, here as well. And I just think that's really interesting because I grew up in the era where you went to shows and you built up a good live following and then the stuff happened, all the industry stuff happened because there was like a thing going. Um, and it's interesting now that artists, you know, they basically playing the first shows after they've already had all of that. So there's all of this expectation for them to be this really great live performer, but they've never even played live before. They don't know how to. And it's like a real, I'm guessing it's a real, I'm, I haven't really done it too much, but, you know, it's a real art to it. Not everyone can, you know, do it. So I feel like it's just a really interesting thing. And I guess for me, I've had such a great time going to shows and building that community, making friends, that I think it's really important to um, provide those in-person, you know, opportunities. And I think people really crave that, you know, after especially COVID, 
is to actually come together and connect with other people. And I think, I mean, I really hope that live music is, you know, going to be around and forever, you know? It will be. I mean, it's been, it's such a, it's been around since people could, you know, bang a couple of rocks together. <laughs> um, it's... I know. I, I feel kind of neutral about the whole technology thing. I've, I've, I haven't been in the industry for, if you include my days at Mains, you know, twenty years now, um, and seeing. I mean, it's changing all the time, and people are always freaked out about the new change, and then they figure out a way to, to kind of work within the new, the new, you know, the walls of whatever it is that the change happens to be. Um, so creatively, I think it's fine. I've always just there was a time when. Spotify was huge and um, every record label was saying the song needs to start with the chorus or the chorus needs to happen within like a certain amount of time because that's the algorithm and it needs to hit this on you know and people and lots of people were coming into writing sessions and being like oh crap we've got to you know, we've got to do it like this and then and I was just like look let's just try and write a good song like if we if we're trying to have all of these these kind of restrictions on it and rules, then it's just not going to be interesting. We're just going to sound like every other song. And I feel like if we just approach it like trying to write a good song, then that solves a lot of the problems. And if you try and follow all these, all the, the so-called rules, then there's still like a one in a million chance that your song's going to do well anyway, because there's so many songs out there and there's so many other things that come into play. Um, so in that regard, you know, I think just trying to write the best thing you can write is the most important thing. Um, and then in regards to live, I mean, I just, when you guys are talking about it now, it, it just reminded me of when I took um, my daughter Emmy to one of our first opening shows, she's 12, um, at Big Fan and just like seeing her face light up, just seeing live music that close because it's a small venue as well, like the band's right there. She was just so excited and she'd never really, I mean, she's been to bigger shows and things, but she'd never really experienced it like that close up and just um, just seeing her face just made me go, man, this is like kids are going to be, this is going to start the ball rolling for some people. Some people are going to want to chase some dreams after having that experience and feeling that excitement. So I'm, I feel fine about it. It's a pretty great place to end it. Uh, thank you both so much for coming up here. And uh, yeah, it really, if, if you're listening and curious at all, I strongly recommend checking out Big Fan in any capacity. You can. It's it's a pretty extraordinary place. So congratulations to the pair of you. Thank you, man. Thank Appreciate you so it. much for having us. That was The Fold, brought to you by our partners at O Media, making brands unmissable and public spaces better across Aotearoa. Huge thanks to O Media for sponsoring this episode of The Fold and enabling us to make unmissable connections with Kiwis. Kia ora e te iwi, te Aihe Butler here, podcast manager at The Spin-Off. If you enjoy listening to our podcasts, consider supporting our mahi by signing up to become a Spin-Off member at thespinoff.co.nz slash donate. The Spin-Off Podcast Network.